singing. I have a note from um, Pastor Turner. <coughs> it, it reads, Dear, Dear Pastor Mackay and Metro Baptist, your kindness and generosity are truly a, a blessing from the Lord. When I came to work on Friday and saw the check that was on my desk, it brought me to tears. The previous amount of cash was already a huge help towards the cost of my treatments. My words don't seem enough, but please know that I'm very thankful. It is an encouragement to see your faithfulness to the Lord all these years. May God richly bless you, Pastor Turner. So thank you, church, for um, loving Pastor Turner and helping him. Um, he, is, he is seeing some improvement. Um, he felt uh, a lot stronger yesterday or, or Thursday when I saw him. And so praise the Lord. Um, he's seeing some improvement. And thank you for helping with a very generous offering. I think, I think we've supplied enough for a couple months of treatment. And so thank you for being so generous and helpful to him. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 44. <coughs> Genesis chapter number 44. What a great crowd this morning. What a great crowd. Also a prayer request. Um, one, of our, one of our members um, is inquiring about a, about a building in um, Coquitlam. And, and, and I'm hopeful that it might be a solution for Anchor Baptist Church. And um, you be praying for them. Um, their, needs, their, their needs are equal to our needs. And so uh, when we pray, um, pray for Metro and pray for Anchor. And um, pray for good churches that are in the area, that they might extend grace um, to us and goodness to us. Because um, really we need, we need a church situation. And, um, and so be, be in prayer that God would um, show us favor. Amen. Genesis chapter 44. <clears throat> before we're go I'm going to preach as we read through these chapters today for the sake of time. Um, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll remember where we were last week in the life of Joseph. Father... I pray you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray you'd empower the preaching of your word. And I pray every Christian this morning would rejoice in your wonderful mercy and grace, in your plan of reconciliation. And Lord, if there's someone here today or someone listening who is at enmity with God, at variance with God, separated from God. They don't have a personal relationship with God. I pray that they would see that Christ has provided a perfect way to come back into relationship or come, come into relationship with God. And I pray they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Father, please speak to our hearts through the life of of Joseph, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> well, in the last chapter, <clears throat> I don't know if this is going to help. It might, but I got phlegm in my chest, so it, it, sometimes I need to cough it. Uh, but anyways, in the last chapter, Joseph's brothers returned to Egypt the second time 
and Joseph poured out grace upon them. Joseph knew his brother's sin against him, and yet he chose not to immediately extinguish them. Even though Joseph knew his brothers deserved judgment, he chose to bless them. He filled their sacks with food, and he replaced their money. I love what it says in Genesis 43, 23. It says, um, The God of your father hath given you treasure in your sacks. Not because they deserved it, but because he loved his brothers deeply. We saw in chapter 43, he brought them to his home to eat. He treated them as honored guests. He inquired of their welfare and the welfare of his father. He fed them an amazing meal. Why was it that Joseph was holding back his judgment? It's because he was waiting for his brothers to repent. The way Joseph tr treated his brothers is the way God treats all of humanity. All human beings have sinned against God and are rightly deserving of God's judgment. Yet God holds back his immediate judgment. Despite humanity's sinfulness, God pours out grace and mercy upon all of his creation. God patiently waits for repentance so that he can be reconciled to his creation. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It also says in that chapter that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. God is long-suffering because he desires to save the sinner. In chapter 44, where we pick up the story, Joseph turns up the heat on his brothers to see if they will repent. It says in verse number one, and he commanded the steward of his house saying, fill the men's sacks with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money in his sack's mouth and put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, that was Benjamin, and his corn money. <coughs> and he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. So the steward left with this message, with this task. It says in verse number 6, And he overtook them. And he spake unto them these same 
words. What words? Wherefore have ye rewarded evil for good? And what did they say? And they said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold the money which we found in our sacks mouths on our first trip, we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of the Lord's house, out of thy Lord's house, silver or gold? They were so sure of their innocence and of their virtue. They proclaim in verse 9, With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also will be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according unto your words, He with whom it is found shall be my servant, and ye shall be blameless. He said, I won't take it that far, but with whomever I find this cup, they will have to be my slave. What can we learn from this this first portion of this chapter? Now, the brothers were not guilty of stealing the cup. But they were very guilty at rewarding evil for good. Their initial response was not to look at their sinful hearts but rather to proclaim their innocence concerning the silver cup. As human beings, we are prone to look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses. And this this also can be a tendency of Christians, to look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, in verse 6, Most men, and we can put women in there as well, will proclaim every one his own goodness. And in Romans 12 and verse 13, Christians are commanded not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. It is our human nature to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. When, when, they are, when these brothers are accused of stealing the cup, you know, their first line of defense is, we are innocent, and we even have evidence to prove how virtuous we are. The last time we were here, we found money in our sacks. And we were so concerned about being honest, we brought the money back with us. Although the brothers were innocent in the matter of the silver cup, they were were very guilty concerning rewarding evil for good in the life of Joseph. As a teenager, Joseph's biggest crime was being the favorite of his father. That wasn't his fault. That was Jacob's fault. But because he was shown favoritism, his brothers despised him and they hated him. Joseph showed himself to be 
a, a young man of character, a young man of honesty, a young man that wanted to obey his father. And that, that wasn't necessarily the desire of his older brothers. And when he showed up at his father's commandment, looking for his brothers that day, he was rewarded evil for the good that was in his life. Now, most humans keep accurate records of the good things they do. And you know what? Mankind is capable of doing good things, doing kind things. Now, from God's perspective, the book of Isaiah says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You see, God's holiness is so much superior to our attempts to be holy or our attempts to be good. Um, God is not impressed with the goodness of man. And the goodness of man, it does not, it does not erase the sinfulness of man. But most humans, you know, I visited... I visited, um, when I was in Bible school, I visited a juvenile jail every Tuesday night. And we would get to, we would go, we would get to go into the pods and the, the, the young people would be playing games and talking and doing different things in those pods. And we were allowed to sit down um, in, in those pods and, and have conversations with the young people that were in jail. You know, and one of the questions I ask when I'm soul winning is, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? And some of those young people would say, I think so. And I would ask, why? And they would say, I'm a good person. Now, they're sitting in jail most of the time. Now, Joseph sat in jail, and he was a good person. And so there are exceptions. The God of heaven knows if someone is truly in jail for, um, uh, for a legitimate reason. But most often, people in jail have done something wrong. And yet, um, they have a better memory of the good things they did than the bad things that they did. <coughs> now, the courtrooms of this earth are not comprehensive. The courtrooms of this earth are not comprehensive. When you go to court, you are, you are being tried for a crime that you're accused of. Sometimes multiple, multiple crimes in one um, court session, but the, courtroom of, of, of the courtrooms of this earth, they, are only, they only have a, a partial view of someone's life. And so if they're proving someone has committed a crime, they, they gather evidence and they gather witnesses and they prove or they try to prove that this person is guilty of the crime. But the courtrooms of this earth are very limited. They can only really focus on those one crime or a few crimes that are in question. However, God's courtroom is comprehensive. He has perfect record of every sin we've ever committed. 
every sin we've committed on the outside that other people may see, but also every sin of the heart. Now when these brothers show up to see Joseph, he, they, accuse him, they accuse them of stealing the silver cup. But Joseph, he has quite a comprehensive view of his brother's sin. They don't, they don't realize it, but he remembers their sin. They, are, they were focusing on the silver cup accusation, but Joseph was remembering how they rewarded his goodness with evil by abusing him, by throwing him into a pit, by bringing him out of that pit and selling him as a slave. And as he cried out for mercy and help, they ignored his cries. And that began 20 years of misery in many ways for Joseph. They were focusing on the silver cup, but Joseph, he wanted them to, he wanted them to focus on their real sins, the sins that he was aware of. Well, in verse 11, they start searching the bags. Then they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Joseph has all the power in this situation. And as human beings, the God of creation has all of the power. And when that silver cup is discovered, there is only one response. And it's very heart sobering. When that silver cup is found, guess what? It says in verse 13, they rent their clothes. That doesn't mean they, they made money renting their clothes. That means they tore their clothes to pieces because guess what? They knew someone, some, one of their brothers was going to be enslaved. The one who's, who the cup was found in the bag. And they rent their clothes. It was the realization of a heart it was a heart-sobering judgment. They were guilty. The silver cup proved it. They were guilty before the power of Joseph. They were helpless, and they were hopeless. But this heart-sobering reality triggers in the hearts of these brothers a true repentance. There are, many, there, there are many expressions of true repentance that follow the discovery of the silver cup. We see they, they rent their clothes. 
And then in verse number 14, <coughs> And Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. Oh, they didn't come into the house and say, We've been framed. We are honest men and we've been framed. Oh no. They fell on their face before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that ye have done? Wot ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? In other words, he says, You thought you were going to get away with this? So we see they rent their clothes, they fell on the ground. But verse 16 is an important verse. They sought Joseph's terms of reconciliation. Notice what they, notice what they say in verse 16. And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how? Shall we clear ourselves? They wanted to know, how can we make this right with you, Joseph? How can we make this right with you? Reconciliation, Webster's Dictionary defines it as this, the act of reconciling parties at variance. Now, when Joseph is 17 years old and he's sold as a slave and his brothers ignore his cries for mercy and help, would you describe them as having, Joseph and his brothers having a close relationship? No. They are at variance. They are at variance. They are at disagreement. And reconcil reconciliation is the renewal of friendship after disagreement or enmity. The renewal of friendship after disagreement or enmity. In scripture, it means, it's the means by which sinners are reconciled and brought into a state of favor with God after natural estrangement or enmity. We are naturally estranged from God when we are born into this world. We inherit Adam's sin nature. And this sin nature grows in us, and we also choose, when, when, we, when we're old enough to um, when our conscience is developing, we begin to choose to do that which is wrong. And so mankind is separated from God because of their sin. Joseph's brothers were separated <coughs> from him because of their sin. Who had the power in this relationship? When these brothers come back to... Um, when they come to Egypt and they stand before Joseph, who has the power? Joseph does. 
He is second in command in Egypt. He has the power to um, extend grace. He has power to apply judgment. And it's an, it's, a, it's an absolute power, only one power higher, and that's Pharaoh. Well, before God, guess what? He has the power. God determines, God determines the terms of reconciliation. Remember in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned? Their response to hide their shame was to cover themselves with fig leaves. But guess what? God was not pleased with a fig leaf covering. He was not pleased with man's attempts to cover their sin. And he slayed an animal. And he covered Adam and Eve with, um, with the coats of that sacrificed animal. Remember Cain and Abel. Why was God pleased with Abel's sacrifice? Because he brought a blood sacrifice. God was not pleased with Cain's fruits and vegetables, the works of his hands. He was not pleased with those because blood is required as the payment for sin. This is the terms of 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 reconciliation with God. Now look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. When Joseph's brothers came face to face with their sin, they didn't get to determine the terms of reconciliation. And false religion develops terms of reconciliation with God. Here are some of the terms that you'll hear. Good works. If I do enough good works, that will make God happy and he will accept me. But the Bible is very clear that good works will not satisfy a holy and righteous God. And so, if you're here today, or if you're listening today, and you think you can earn your way to heaven by being a good person, those terms are not God's terms of reconciliation. We also have a, a popular philosophy that, as a human being, you can choose your own religion. You can choose your own way to God. And it's a popular philosophy. You'll hear it come out of the hearts of many people. Rich, poor, um, religious, people that live very sinful lives. You'll hear them say things like, all religions are the same, and, and if, if they help you um, in life, then it's good. But that's not the message of Scripture. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. In the book of Acts it says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is one name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. 
There is only one name through which there is salvation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 18. And all things are of God. Now, now, this is a letter being written to Christians. Christians are people that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul says to these Christians. He says, and all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. He hath reconciled us to himself by our good works? No. By Buddha? No. By Allah? No. He hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And so as Christians, our ministry, our life's work, our purpose is to go to other people and share with them Jesus Christ. He is the means of reconciliation. And how, how did God provide reconciliation through Jesus Christ? Look at verse 21. For he, that's God the Father, hath made him, God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin. The Bible says in, in Isaiah 53 that God hath laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. All of the sins of the world were laid on Jesus Christ who lived 33 years as a human being and knew no sin. You see, the wages of sin is death. The reason we die as human beings is because we're sinners. Now, we can eat healthy and maybe feel better, but guess what? There's no natural remedy for eternal life because sin brings death. Sin brings death. But guess what? Jesus Christ died in our place. When he died on that cross, he wasn't dying for his sin because he had none. He was dying for our sins. And the Bible says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we believe on Jesus Christ, our sins are imputed to Jesus. That means our sins are placed on Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches that his righteousness is imputed to our account. So all of his righteousness is placed upon us. Jesus Christ is the terms of reconciliation. You have to come to God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Joseph got to determine the terms of reconciliation for his brothers because he had the power. And the creator of the universe, he gets to determine the terms of reconciliation. You say, well, I don't like that. 
I believe you can go to heaven by any religion. Well, that's an offense to the creator of this universe. The creator of this universe has provided a perfect way to be reconciled to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Well, um, what else do we see in this story here? Um, Genesis chapter number 44. <clears throat> so we're seeing expressions of repentance. We see they rent their clothes, they tore their clothes, they fell on their knees before Joseph in humility. They sought Joseph's terms of reconciliation. And then we see in verse number 16. And Judah said, what shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Now they don't spell out their iniquity, but they admit to Joseph, God has discovered how wicked we have been. He has discovered our sins. And they say, behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And so we see they admit their sin and they accept responsibility. Now Judah, Judah, hasn't, Judah doesn't know if Benjamin did this on purpose or not. But it goes much deeper than just this cup. Judah sees clearly the sin. Their sin has been exposed and he admits their sin. It's an expression of repentance. If you read verse 18 through 21 through 31, you see Judah begging Joseph to allow him to be the slave and let Benjamin go back because if Benjamin doesn't go back, it's going to break the heart of their father. Judah's already carrying a load of guilt. These brothers are carrying a load of guilt because they sold Joseph as a slave and then they told their dad that he had been killed. And Jacob has suffered for, for 20 years, mourning the death of his son. And Judah carries this guilt and and he begs Joseph, Joseph, I'll be the slave. Let Benjamin go back. I don't want my, heart, my, my, my father's heart to be broken. Now this is a real change in the attitude of these brothers. This is a real change. It's an expression of, of repentance. And we see here in verse 33... Now, therefore, I pray thee, let thy servant abide instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. You know, this is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ said when 
But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What did Jesus say? Let me die for Russell Mackay's sin. Let me die for Lisa Mackay's sin. Let me die for the sins of the world so that they can go free. What a change Joseph is seeing in the hearts of his brothers. When this repentance is expressed, we see in chapter 45 that Joseph reveals himself. It's interesting to note that before he reveals himself to his brothers, he makes all the servants go out. He wants to be alone with his brothers. I, I believe there's a great thought here that reconciliation with God is personal. It's personal. God sees your heart, and he wants to deal with your heart on a personal level. You don't become a Christian by osmosis. You don't become a Christian by being born into a Christian home or being at church every week for a year. You become a Christian when you come face to face with your sin and God reveals himself to you. Now, when, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, Notice in verse 3, Genesis 45, 3, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Now, folks, this is a, this is a normal response. When a sinner is convicted of their sin, and God reveals himself to them, you'll often hear people testify, I didn't want to go to hell. They became very aware that they were under the judgment of God. And when Joseph reveals himself to the brothers, what? They are full of fear. They were immediately aware that if they got what they deserved, it would be over for them. That's what they deserved. And guess what? When God reveals himself to a, sin, to a sinner, they become immediately aware of their desperate need, that they are under the judgment of God. Well, Joseph had found in his brothers a heart of repentance. And now he invites them in verse 4, and Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I ask you, I pray you. Come near to me, I pray you. Joseph invites his brothers to be reconciled. He invites them to come near. And you know, that's the invitation of God to humanity um, look at this invitation in Revelation 22 and verse 17. Revelation 22 and verse 17. And it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. 
And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus invites all sinners to come to him and receive the water of life, to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. It's an invitation to all sinners. These repentant brothers are invited to Joseph. And how do they respond? You know what I like about this? Joseph wants a relationship with his brothers. And he kept it at that level. At that, he could have revealed himself and he could have ordered his brothers to do what he wanted. But instead, he invites them. He gives them the opportunity to choose. And it says in verse 4, and they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. What does God want? He wants to see a repentant heart. He wants you to come to himself. But guess what? He doesn't want you to carry around the guilt anymore. He doesn't want you to be angry with yourself. He doesn't want you to be grieved any longer. That's how full and free the salvation of God is. That's how marvelous his forgiveness is. You know, he could have sat there and for the next hour told them, or in the next five hours, all of his suffering the last 20 years because of their wretched sin. But you know what he said? Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. And he assured them that their salvation through his suffering was God's plan from the beginning. He says there, Be not grieved or angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Christian, God doesn't want you to be carrying around a load of guilt. He doesn't want you to be angry with yourselves. He wants you to rejoice that God the Father purposely sent God the Son to bear and to pay for your sins. For God so loved the world. For God so loved Jacob and his family that he sent Joseph into Egypt to suffer so that Joseph could save Jacob and his family. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus into this world to live a sinless life and then to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Be not grieved. This is God's plan. When you consider the cross, God wants you to consider the cross not with grief and anguish. He wants you to consider the cross with joy and celebration because it's through that cross that God planned to pay for the sins of the entire world. The title of the message today was Conviction. These brothers were convicted of their sin. Repentance. They repented of their sin. Invitation. They were invited to Joseph himself. And what happened next? Forgiveness. Full and complete forgiveness. This is the grace and mercy of God. Have you received that grace? Have you received that mercy? If you haven't, I hope today you will call out to Christ and you'll ask him to be your savior. He is the terms of reconciliation. You come unto God through Jesus Christ and he invites you to himself. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He won't force you to come to him, but he invites you to come to him. And Christian, will you rejoice today? Quit beating yourself up because of your sins. It was God's plan for Jesus to die for you, to free you, and to save you from all of your sin. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you cry out to Jesus and ask him to save you today? It's the only way to be restored to God, to be reconciled to God is by coming to God through Jesus Christ. He died for you, he loves you, and he wants to save you. In the quietness of your heart, I pray and I beg you, ask Jesus to be your savior today. Christian, have you been carrying a load of guilt? Are you grieved and angry with yourself? because of your sin? If you've come to Christ, you have full and free forgiveness. Joseph didn't want his brothers to be grieved or angry. He wanted them to rejoice that God sent him for their salvation. And God wants us to rejoice daily that Jesus loved us and saved us. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we've had a great morning. And um, if, 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 you, if you've not called on the Lord, call on the Lord today.
He wants to be your Savior. And just let's rejoice in God's forgiveness. Well, we've had a great morning. Pastor Tyler has an uh, announcement and then a, a prayer. He's going to pray for us. My wife and I want to walk around and get down to the bottom of the stairs so that we can see everybody before you leave. One thing I like about the office more than the theater, it's not dark. I can actually see who's at church, and, and that's, that's really nice, and we'd like, to, we'd like to meet you downstairs. And tonight, um, our dear friend, Pastor David West, um, faithful missionary in northern Quebec, he is going to be preaching for us, and um, Mrs. West is going to play her violin. They've been a great blessing this last couple days to my wife and I, and you're going to be blessed tonight um, um, to be here. So, amen. God bless you. After I pray, if we could have all the teens and parents of teens meet very briefly with me. Youth conference is coming up, so we need to inform you about that. So I'll pray, and then we'll have that meeting, and then get out of here by about 9.25. Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting with us this morning. We thank you for your wonderful grace, that you want us to enjoy the full measure of your forgiveness. Uh, you don't want us carrying around a load of guilt. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to take what we've heard uh, this morning and share it with someone this week. Lord, help us to be ministers of reconciliation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you, parents of teens and teens, if you could meet me up here. And then uh, rest of us, we have a few minutes to fellowship, and then we got to be out of here.